Before we get started, we just wanted to read a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, this is a comedy slash true crime podcast. We are a few guys who like to laugh and crack jokes. We understand the nature of the topic is very disheartening and grim, but our aim here is to bring to light these real-life situations so you, the listener, can be more aware of your surroundings and hopefully laugh alongside with us. We will not make jokes about the victims or the families impacted by the unfortunate situations, but we will make jokes about the perpetrator or anywhere we see fit. If you don't believe people should be joking about this subject, or if you are expecting a more serious retelling of the event, or if you do not like commentary and banter on the subject, then this is not the podcast for you. Howdy, and welcome back to yet another episode. Uh, this episode is going to be the finale of our Ed Gein series. Hail my name, my name is Octavio. It's your boy, Will. I, uh, I hope you enjoy the first part. I know it was a lot more psychological, like, shit, but this one is not like that at all. I promise you. <clears throat> no, um, this one uh, gets a little gruesome. Yeah, it's a whole lot more messed up. Um, and like I said, if you don't already know the story of Ed Gein, well, then you my friend, are in for a hell of a tale. So without further ado, put on your masks and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times. Well, Richard, it's nice to have you back. How was your vacation? Good, I hope. Yeah, I hope it was good. Uh, well, albeit unpaid. I'm sorry about that. We just can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Richard. But uh, if you haven't been keeping up with the news, uh, I, I think you heard about this, right? Well, they allegedly figured out who Zodiac was. Allegedly, yes. Yeah, allegedly. I I don't believe that they have. That's my opinion, but I don't think this guy's it. But uh, people are memeing the hell out of this. Um, it turns out his name is Gary. Gary Post is it's a fucking Zodiac. Like, his name is fucking Gary. Like, that is not a Zodiac name. You no, know? no. Gary is yeah. just your can neighborhood you imagine, uh, barbecuer. Can you imagine people being turned? Oh, no, Gary's coming. Yeah, watch out for Gary. <laughs> Yeah, but it's um, it's even funnier though because like sleuths, internet sleuths have dug into Gary's social media history, and found that um, a friend of Gary's had been posting about him since like 2018, and like the the friend is like casually dropping like the bomb that he knew he was the Zodiac. Like, there's a dude. The dude posted a picture like on Facebook, like when Zodiac died in 2018. Mm-hmm. He posted a pic that says, uh, "quote unquote, last visit with old man Gary." Post zodiac question mark anyway i'll miss you old man like <laughs> it's just super casual like consider the dude killed like as many people as he did and like if you don't yeah, know about like, the zodiac go back and listen to will's episode but uh yeah dude like just oh you know just hanging out with zodiac you know yeah my bold man the zodiac old man zodiac but yeah a lot of people believe like that, that he didn't he this isn't him but it might be i don't know it's up to you it's up to you to decide. Yeah. So uh, that's all the banter we got because uh, it's another. <clears throat> if you were a serial killer, would you tell me? 
yeah, so we got to get going on this one. Um, this is one's got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't talk about that bullshit right now. <laughs> I don't have time for that, Will. Yeah. Shit. Hmm. All right. All right, Richard. Thanks. Thanks. You got your job done for today. Thanks, man. Uh, all right. So let's get into Ed Gein. All right. Here we go. All right. So when we, when we last left off, Eddie had just buried his mother and was now left to fend for himself. Obviously, Eddie was far from okay. His, he pretty much stopped taking care of himself or really anything. He didn't tend to the property at all. He wanted the trees to grow back, actually, let nature have it back. Like, he just stopped giving a shit about taking care of anything that his mother had. Like He was not okay after his mother's death, which if you listen to the last episode, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah you can understand no why. Yeah, there's no way he's okay. So, um, like, he stopped shaving regularly. He smelled pretty bad. Um, a lot of townsfolk felt bad for him. But, like, they didn't feel bad for him enough to, like, help him out or visit him or check in on him or anything. You know, they they just were like, oh, poor Eddie. Oh, and that yeah. was, like, the extent of it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, oh well. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So, uh, he did have one friend. I think we talked about him a little bit last episode. But his, this guy's name is Bob Hill. Um, he was much younger, maybe a teenager at this time. Um, but like I said, Eddie got along with kids more than he did adults. So uh, Bob Hill and his brother or other siblings were really the only visitors he had. Unless, of course, somebody needed something from him, like a neighbor said, hey, let me borrow your lawnmower and then never give it back hmm. type of thing. Like they just kind of took advantage of the guy. And it really sucks. But um, and actually, in later years, he would go on to say nothing. None of this would have happened if his neighbors had just paid more attention to him. But, you know, it is what it is. Hindsight, hindsight and all yeah. that. Yeah. So he didn't need like a whole lot of money during this time since he was just himself and not taking care of anything. So like his diet consisted of basically pork and beans. And, and that's it. Like Pretty much like can after can of pork and beans. And, and what he would do is not even waste time getting a pot or anything. He just put the can straight on the fire and he would like check the temperature with his fingers until it was hot enough. Then he would transfer the pork and beans from the can into these gross bowls that had like a tendency to tip over because he couldn't get the bottoms flat, like no matter how hard he tried. And that's what he would do. Yeah, he Just wasn't. Those... He, yeah, he, he wasn't great at poetry, uh, poetry at pottery. <laughs> pottery, yeah. Because <laughs> he had all fucked up bowls. Yeah. So uh, he did still work, though. He worked a couple odd jobs. He worked for the city at some point, like clearing snow and stuff like that. And he worked for people like helping on ranches and uh, during threshing season and whatnot, and he would go work for them. And even to the townspeople, he's still considered a hard worker. Uh, even though he did completely stop working on his own property, he did still go out and work and earn his money. But he also made money from like leasing portions of his land to his neighbors. And he also got a grant from the government since his land was like not producing anything. So he got a grant for letting the land grow fallow. And so, you know, he had a bit of money considering all the places he was getting money from. He just didn't use it on anything. He had no need to. Yeah, his mom was um, dead. Yeah. Uh, so he very much kept to himself uh, and rarely interacted with people. He became like full on introverted. But when he did find himself having to interact with the outside world, he came off as normal, maybe a little depressed. But, you know, that was to be expected. His best friend slash mom died. Um, but either way, again, no one cared enough to find out whether he was okay or not, like how he was coping. They're just, he's just Eddie Gein. Like he's weird. So 
His isolation was to his benefit, though, because inside his childhood home that was once kept immaculate by his mother was no longer the pristine homestead it once was. I mean, the place was disgusting, dude. Like, he had the floors covered in all kinds of trash and random things he, he like, refused to throw away. Like, like an episode of Hoarders, but much more disgusting. And, um, like, even though he had, like, the whole house to himself... He really only used like two of the rooms, maybe three of them, like the kitchen, like the living room. Like he would just sleep in there. Um, he really didn't touch the other rooms. No, it was just the uh, summer kitchen and mm-hmm. his bedroom pretty much. Yeah. So um, he also, he had a habit of chewing gum, right? One of his favorite things to do was chew gum. But then when he was done chewing the gum, he would take the gum and add it to his gum pile in, <laughs> in his kitchen. It was like in a can of like, a one pound can, like a Folgers or something, and he just—it was empty. Yeah. And he just put a bunch of bunch gum of, wads, bunch in there. of old wads of chewing gum. Yeah, it's just fucking gross, dude. And it was one of the things that later investigators would find and be like, "Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is this?" Yeah, it was one of the more normal things in his house, but it was still fucking gross considering. So when uh, he was done, he would also like keep random things on his shelves, like they were like display pieces to him, like he was proud of them. Like, like weird shit, though, like dentures, weird, like weird things that he was like, oh, this is good art. But his house and home in general were just like a festering, dark and lonely place where Ed Gein would end up slipping into madness without anyone ever knowing exactly how deviant the little man had become. So all alone in his dark house that was looking more and more like it belonged on an episode of Hoarders, he started hearing his mother's voice. Yep. He started hearing his mother's voice all alone in his, yeah. his dark-ass house. It's called schizophrenia. Yeah, sure is. And uh, she would pretty much just tell him to be a, to be good. She'd just be like, Eddie, be good. Be a good boy. Yeah, and that's, he would hear that, and he would... And other times, he would, like, see things that weren't there. Like, one time, he was walking in the woods by his house when all of a sudden, the leaves of all the trees were gone. And when he looked up, he saw a bunch of, like, black birds on every branch and there was like blood and like guts everywhere hanging from all the branches the fuck? and yeah it was just weird shit and yeah. uh, a different time he was walking uh in i don't know if it's the same part of the forest or not but uh he was walking along he saw a pile of leaves right and when he looked at the pile of leaves he saw in between the leaves he could see faces and eyes looking back at him it's just a bunch of faces staring back at him with like a wicked smile so he got scared and he ran off all and, you know, when he was running away, he could hear the leaves with the faces in them, like mocking him and laughing at him as he's running away. So along with those... It reminds me of the Scarecrow from Batman. <laughs> is that what he is? Yeah. He just has that... Uh, yeah, you get that... The toxin. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's starting to see shit. <laughs> yeah. But along with these weird shit he was seeing, he was what he called, like, the urge. He had, like, these urges come upon him. And he says he can't, couldn't control them. And it would make his memory foggy. Like once he started these urges, it was like an episode like type state where he didn't remember what he was doing, like a blackout. So after these episodes, he wouldn't have any memory of what he had done. Like, you know, you just come into like a blackout saying, you know, you when you wake up like that one time on the day after Halloween, when you woke up in someone else's bed all alone and then your friend comes in your room, and it's all like sprightly, but you're like, you feel like a truck hit you. And then you kind of remember what happened that night, but not really. But then he puts like gummy bears on the back of your hands and you eat it like a little kitten. But then you tell him not to worry about it because you're not worried about it. You know what I mean? Mm, no. Okay. 
that wasn't a personal anecdote or anything that didn't happen to me in real life. That wasn't you, right? No, 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 no of course no. not. No, definitely wasn't me. No. Anyways. Uh, no, you eat them off the floor like a dog. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's that's why it wasn't me. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Eddie, though, he was content to hang out at home and eat his beans. And while he was eating his pork and beans, he would read magazines. You know, he didn't have TV or nothing, so he just pulled out his magazines. And, you know, they're normal magazines about the atrocities being committed by Nazi soldiers or how the people in South Seas would make shrunken heads and... You know, these magazines he was reading wouldn't hold back on the details. I mean, the Nazi stories he read were like, were things like, uh, is the lady that's called the bitch of Buchenwald. And she was a Nazi soldier who made stuff out of people's skin, you know, lamps and whatnot. Yeah, she was uh, married to, I think, a major. Isla Koch is her name. Mm, yeah, that's right. The bit, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, she was she was known for being especially gruesome with her experiments, I guess you'd call them. But in the South Seas, uh, like stories, it would go into detail about how to make uh, shrunken heads. Uh, so, you know, he loved those because it's like step by step how to make a shrunken head. Um, and if he couldn't find any good true crime stories, uh, he would make do with reading the crime stories from the local newspaper, anything he could get his hands on. And he would pay special attention to the obituary. Um and, you know, the picture was he would like cut pieces out of it and remember certain dates and names. Uh, but despite reading these stories, the people of town uh, found him oddly feminine. So even though he was reading these gruesome horror stories and crime stories, he still had a feminine air about him. Um, and like, even though he grew up on a farm, you know, and he had these like uh, massive, not muscles, he wasn't like a big guy, but he was a strong guy, you know, he. He's a farmer. You know, yeah. He had a manliness about him, but farmer's body. Yeah, but he didn't shine through. He had a very effeminate way about him, and the townspeople kind of made fun of him. I mean, he he claimed to not even go deer hunting uh, with all the rest of the guys in the town because uh, blood made him queasy. So he claimed, you know, he just that's why he didn't go deer hunting because he didn't want to dress out a deer. And, and that in that time, you know, the people hunted deer. That's I mean, people still do, but like especially then, like you people hunt a deer a man goes out during deer hunting season and, and hunts deer that's what they do so they just found it weird like he just wasn't like other guys and he actually knew this in fact uh ed gein was obsessed with christine jorgensen um if you don't know who christine jorgensen is uh in 1952 uh she began transition through sex reassignment surgery from man to woman and she's not the first but she is the the first publicized one in america anyway so he was obsessed with her story of be going from a man to a woman. Like, and this was, this was in 52, this was a pretty controversial thing. So he had always wondered what it was like to not have a penis and instead have girly parts, which I imagine is what he called them. Cause Ed Gein had no first had an experience with a woman. No, and he was I mean, it, child's brain basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had in 1947 is she had some experience with a woman uh, probably about two years after his mom died, he finally got his chance to see a vagina firsthand. But I can't even imagine, like, before he saw one firsthand, like, what did he think the female body looked like? You know, like, I can't pick, like, what was he picturing? Because all he had was, like, crude images, like Grey's Anatomy or something, didn't oh, it's he? Like, like, yeah, that's like Dwight in The Office. I don't know if you've seen that episode. No? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's the HR rep. He's like, where's the female clitoris? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't. I'm sure I've seen it. I don't remember it. <laughs> it reminds me of that it's funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's just crazy to think about. Like before he had first had experience, two years after his mom died, like what? I think it's just a hole. Just a hole, like the front, like where your wiener is, except for like yeah, except it's a hole. It's like pee out of. Yeah, just a black hole. Which I mean, I guess he's not wrong. Um, sure. So <laughs> yeah. Pink so hole. later in life, <laughs> let's just like I like my steak, the warm pink center. Yeah. So later in life, Ed would admit to visiting the cemetery about 40 different times. Um, and it wasn't just one cemetery, it was three different cemeteries in the area. And he says the main reason for these trips, at first anyway, um, was to visit his mother's grave. Ed would go see his mom, uh, visit her grave, and he would just sit there. And he thought that just through his sheer willpower and his sheer desire... Uh, he could bring his mom back to life. Like he would attempt to resurrect Augusta from beyond the grave every time he went to go see her. And he thought that he could do it. Like he really truly thought that he could do it just because he, he didn't want to live life without her. And that means that he should be able to bring her back. It didn't work. Well, at least huh? I don't, I don't, I don't think it did, but I'm telling you, he tried to get her back so many times, like every fucking time. And, um, this is where a lot of the false rumors uh, started about the butcher playing field. Once they found this out, um, and these rumors were only made worse, like when the movies came out, like the, that were inspired, like Norman Bates, who had his mother's actual corpse in a room. Um, Ed Gein actually never actually dug up his mother. Like that's just something from the movies. Uh, you know, different stuff like that. So um, Ed could never bring himself to desecrate his beloved mother's grave. The grave right next to it, however, was fair game. And one night, after yet again unsuccessfully resurrecting his mother, he had decided to dig up the body right next to Augusta's grave. Ed's first victim from beyond the grave was a local 51-year-old woman named Eleanor Adams. And the weird thing is, like, he knew her. Like, I, I mean, they never spoke or anything, but, like, he had seen her around town and, like, they knew of each other. And, of course, obviously, she bore some resemblance to Augusta, so there was some motive to dig her up. But uh, the thing is, like, I remember, he was he was always watching the, the obituary page. Mm -hmm. So Eleanor had been buried just the day before. And, you know, Ed knew that. Like I said, he's just watching the obits page. Like he managed to dig through the, her, to, through to her coffin because the, the dirt was still soft from being laid like the day before. So he was able to get through pretty easily. And then he dragged her body out of the coffin. But all he left in his place was the crowbar. And he left that in the coffin. And I think that was an accident. I don't think he meant hmm. to do that. But that was later when they found that. They're like, oh, yeah, he's he definitely was here. <laughs> he's not lying yeah. about that. Oh, there's definitely a crowbar in this coffin. Yeah. So, like, uh, once he dug her up, got her out of the coffin, he uh, kind of covered the hole, trying to make it as, as normal as possible looking, at least not to attract any attention. And uh, he brought her home and laid her down on his gross bed. Then he went to work doing anything and everything he had ever fantasized of doing. Except sex. He, he swears up and down none of this was ever sexual. He says that he never wanted to because the smell was too bad. Uh, that's, that's up to you if you believe him or not. Uh, you know, I'll leave that for you to decide. I'm sure it did smell pretty freaking terrible. Yeah, I, I know it did. I know it did? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I was uh, trying not to sneeze. Oh. <laughs> 
Sorry about that. So uh, as time went on, he had acquired more and more bodies from the local cemeteries and had been pretty busy trying to imitate the bitch of Buchenwald. And at this point, he has no visitors at all, except for Bob Hill, who was, you know, like a local teenager. And uh, his brother Kit would come by to visit. And Bob would Bob Hill would play cards with Ed while the younger brother would find something to play with. Bob claimed that on at least one occasion, Ed had actually shown him his shrunken head collection, which he says his cousin had sent him from the Philippines and that they were the real deal. On a different occasion, the younger brother was playing with like a a hole punch or like a leather punch or something like that. And the, the little brother had run out of paper to punch holes in. So he asked Eddie if he had any more. So Ed says, yeah, the, they're in the room, my room over there. So, you know, go get some. And the kid goes to try to find more paper. And when he opens the door, he's greeted by three of what he, what the kid called shrunken heads, except they weren't shrunk. They were dried out and, but they were the normal size of a head. And after the kid saw this event, uh, these, these heads and uh, freaked out about it, uh, they were no longer allowed back in the house ever again. So now Eddie is completely alone with zero visitors because, you know, he has so many um, collectibles, I guess we'll call them for now, in his house that he can't have people looking into his house. Snooping around. Yeah. So the Hill brothers were young. So, of course, they talked about it with their friends and the word spread in this tiny town that crazy old Eddie Gein had shrunken heads in his house. And Bob even told his parents, who were kind of friends with Ed, like they were pretty good, you know, decent friends with them, I guess. And when they heard, they were just like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." I mean, Ed's a weird dude, but you know, he's harmless. So, as word of the weird shit spread and Ed's property fell more and more into disrepair, the Gein house became the local haunted house. The kids weren't really afraid of little Ed Gein; they were just scared of the house, and they would run past the property as fast as they could and didn't dare look into the house. It just became this place where you just don't go. So now that he didn't have the Hill Boys for company, Ed was really, really alone. Um, And except for a few ventures out into the town um, to do odd jobs here and there, he mainly spent his time at home with his newly acquired collectibles. Um, He did, however, spend a weird amount of time at a tavern about six miles away from his house. Ed didn't really drink because, if you remember last episode, Augusta was pretty much a teetotaler and aside from sex uh drinking was like the second most terrible thing a human could do so he didn't really drink but you know he had a beer every now and then like it wasn't a big deal to him um but it was it really was a weird sight to see ed in a bar like that so ed wasn't interested in the assortment of cheap beer though now you see this tavern was ran by a woman named mary hogan and mary was a good-sized woman I think they said in the book she's 200 pounds. Um, you know, she's like her mom, like his mom. Uh, took no shit. Yeah, she's a thick woman. She took no shit. She had her own business just like Augusta did. Um, I mean, th- that sounds exactly like his mom, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So basically, Ed would go to this tavern because he found his mom. Like, that, this woman is his mom. Um, except for he didn't see her as the same. He saw her as like a mirror image. So it looked like her, it, she, she had kind of the same attributes as her, but in his mind, she was like a warped version of her where uh, Augusta is this wonderful woman who was too good for the world, but Mary Hogan was this foul-mouthed, sinful woman. But still, his interest in her was like palpable. Like he, people could tell that he was into this woman. 
And he would visit often, and several of the men in the bar he knew, um, who knew Ed and knew Mary, noticed this as well. Like he wasn't like trying to hide it or anything. But what happened was in in the decade after Augusta died, uh, Wisconsin had many unsolved crimes where people kind of just disappeared. There there was like no note, no motive they could find, um, and because of that, cops had no way to solve them or even begin to solve them. They were just so random. Like there was this little like. There's a couple of them, that, the three of them that I'm going to mention. So there was a little girl named Georgia Weckler. She was only eight years old. And um, on the day she went missing, she had been dropped off on the road to her house, at, like after school. It was a family friend of theirs dropped her off. And people saw her get the mail out of the family mailbox. And then she wasn't seen ever again. The last thing anyone had come forward with was that they saw a black, dark colored car peeling out of the road um, and turning onto the main road in front of her house but that didn't help because all they had was like a color not even like a maker model or anything so you know that was one mysterious disappearance and because they didn't leave a note or anything they were just like well they don't seem to want anything so i don't you know it's kind of fucking weird yeah so, we don't know we so don't then, know why or you know where the hell she went or, or why the person that or did who, it, why yeah they why they it. took yeah. her yeah i mean they didn't want money there's no ransom note so then a teenage girl named Evelyn Hartley was babysitting about a mile and a half away from her home while the family was out at a football game. When it was time to be home, her dad started getting nervous. Uh, she didn't show up on time. And he called the house where she was sitting and there was no answer. So she started freaking out and he drove or he started freaking out and he drove the mile and a half to go find her. And even though he was banging on the door, no one answered. So he walked around the house until he found an open window in the basement but immediately noticed blood splatter and finger and footprints walking away from the window that he found. He went inside to the window and found signs of a struggle. And there's like his daughter's shoe on the ground, like some other belongings to his daughter, like up in the room in the main room. Um, and when the police came, they brought in dogs and they took the dogs to the window and they followed that trail and the scent that they had left. And it led them a few blocks but the trail ended at a street because apparently that's where they put the girl in a car and took off. So the scent ended. And that's that's all they have about this case. Like, there's no other indication of who. Yeah, no other clues or, or anything. Just yeah. signs of a struggle. Had her scent until they threw her in a car. They, they, they did find um, a pair of bloody underwear, a men's underwear in a trash can nearby. But, you know, that's. That doesn't help either. This is a fifties. Yeah, it's normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what I meant, but I guess oh, you're right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's where I, I put just, my bloody underwear. Yeah, I, I just meant they don't have their forensics to find out oh, yeah. who they belong to. I throw them in my neighbor's trash can. Oh. They're off the scent. <laughs> After the teenage girl disappeared. Uh, a few years later, two hunting buddies had gone um, and disappeared after having a few brewskis together before they got back in their car and drove away, never to be seen again. It, it, like, it's, it wasn't just them, though. Like, both of them and the car disappeared. They didn't find the car either. There was no trace of anything, which I don't know if they you, could have just ran off together. But Yeah, I don't know if do you mention, like, the hunting season and kind of the – this was the norm for a lot of the hunters. Who didn't come back? they would drink oh yeah no i don't mention that part but yeah, yeah. Was, they, was, like, they would go out yeah they would go out hunting and no, they, they would, would drink get cold before, yeah well they would, well, drink no, they would get cold yeah they would get cold and then they would go to a tavern to warm up and get drunk and then they'd go off into the woods again yeah and then get fucking shot or shoot themselves 
Yeah, but the, this is considered weird because them, two men, and the car is gone. I mean, nowadays you're weird. probably like, oh, they, they ran off together. Yeah. You know, they went out to, they went down to Mexico. Yeah. But they, they were never seen again either way. So it's just in this decade, a lot of weird disappearances happened. Um, there was also an occasion in 1954 where a, a man named Seymour Lester, and I wrote that out because that is a hell of a name. It reminds me of, um, what's that, Zach and Mary, where he's like, what's your name? Uh, Lester, the Lester Kakanista. It's like, oh, is that your stage name? Like, you can have a stage name? Yeah, anyways. I just think of Seymour Butts. Yeah. So Seymour Lester. He, he walked into the bar, or a bar, on December 8th and noticed uh, the place was way too quiet. And as he walked in, he noticed a, a pool of blood on the floor. When the police showed up, oh yeah, this is Mary's bar. Mary Hogan's yeah, this is bar. Mary Hogan's bar. Yeah, Mary Hogan's. Um, so when the police showed up to investigate, they found a 32 caliber casing next to a dried puddle of blood. And the puddle of blood led to a streak of blood that led the police outside to the parking spot and into a vehicle. And that's all the hard facts they would know about this case and for several years, it remained a complete mystery. Like that's that's all they have. They have a empty bar, puddle of blood, a trail of, of clearly someone dragging a body in blood, leads outside to a parking spot. It's gone, and that's all they know. Mm-hmm. That's literally all the facts that they have. So you know, Mary Hogan disappeared as well, with no clue at all of where she could have gone. And not like a lot story, of uh, not a lot of police work done back in the day. <laughs> Yeah. No, no dust and fingerprints, uh, no DNA testing of the blood. I think they did go farmhouse to farmhouse, knocking on doors. Like, hey, oh, yeah, you yeah. Mary Hogan? Yeah. Is Mary Hogan here? No. Mary, Mary Hogan here? No? Okay. Say oh, okay, have a good day. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, but like this, that's just another weird disappearance. Um, but cool. the word the word spread fast like among the townspeople uh, and for a long time it was all anyone could talk about. It's like, where's Mary Hogan? Who took Mary Hogan? Why? And one of the guys that I mentioned earlier, who, who knew about Gaines infatuation with Mary Hogan, you know, he had seen him hanging around there and like, you know, staring at her. His name was Elmo Eek. And well, when they were talking about the disappearance one day, um, Elmo joked, you know, Eddie, if you had spent more time courting Mary, she'd be cooking for you instead of being missing. And Ed's response to this uh, was he put that little fucking smile on his face and he said, She's not missing. She's down at the house now. <laughs> Which uh, is an incredibly odd thing to say, don't you think? That's just a weird fucking thing to say about anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if it weren't Ed Gein, I, I, people might have taken that seriously and not as a joke. But because it was weird Ed Gein, no one took him seriously. Like People did not think he was capable of doing this and the, the townspeople just laughed him off uh, and he would make this joke quote-unquote joke multiple times to multiple people like he this was like a catchphrase of his almost like people would say yeah. where's mary hogan and he'd be like oh, she's she, not she, missing she's down to the house now <laughs> yeah <laughs> the ed Gein action figure pulled his trigger in the back <laughs> there's a snake in my boot she's not missing she's down at the house now <laughs> Yeah, but I can you imagine being Ed Gein during this time? And like, he must have been so excited, like because he's over here telling the truth. He's telling people the fucking truth. He's not lying, and people think he's just joking. So he's he's openly saying, "Ah, she's down at the fucking house. What you mean? She is cooking me dinner right now." Mm. Like, it must have been 
for oh, a yeah. psychopath, he must have enjoyed him off, this. Dude. Yeah, it must he must have enjoyed this entirely too much. You know, but like I said, he's letting them know exactly where they are and where she is. But they're just laughing at the lonely old man. They're they're just like well, laughing like, it off. It's like Pazuzu. Yeah. He's like, no, his body's in the basement. Like, ah, Pazuzu. Yeah. Uh, crazy. crazy. And then they have that like twinge of like they believe him for a second. They like stop and listen, but there's no noise. So he's like, ah, he's just yeah. kidding. Nah. Yeah. Wait, but is is he? Nah, wait, he's just kidding. Wait, but wait, wait, wait. But though, is it, 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 maybe? No? Huh? Nah. Nah. We'll wait five years, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Some will turn up. <laughs> so that was in 1954. Now we get to 1957, and Ed had been spending a lot of time hanging around Warden's Hardware, an implement store, but not because he wanted to buy anything. He was there to see Bernice Warden. Hold on. <coughs> Sorry. How dare you, How dare you sir? I've been holding that coffin for so long. Wait, I love the names of places like back in those times. It's like, are they yeah. names or they're just descriptions? No, like, yeah, hardware and implement store. I'm like, what the fuck's an implement? Like, like a tool? I don't know. I think anything that you can use, like handy, like, because she sold lots of stuff there. And you can implement? <laughs> yeah, anything that implements. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but he wasn't there because he wanted to buy anything. Uh, he was there to see Bernice Warden. And Bernice had the misfortune of also resembling Ed's mother. She was an industrious woman. She ran her own business. And just like Mary Hogan, Ed wanted her real bad. And on a few occasions, Ed would put on his smile and ask Bernice if she wanted to go roller skating or go to the movies, you know, or various other activities that he would ask. And Bernice would always say no. And Ed would say, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. That was just a joke. You didn't think I really wanted to take you out, did you? <laughs> Fell for it again. You can't believe you thought I was serious. Oh my gosh. So silly. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Bernice's son, Frank Warden, he also noticed these interactions. Because uh, when he wasn't busy being the deputy sheriff around Plainsfield, he uh, he worked for his mom at the shop. Um, but like everyone else, Frank typically... Uh, he considered Ed harmless. So he, he saw this old man. His mother was single. You know, it wasn't a big deal. This old man's hitting on my mom. Whatever. She's rebuffing him. Not a big deal. Men will be men or some Whatever the hell he, you know, laughed it off as. Mm-hmm. So, but Ed, of course, had plans for Bernice because just like Mary, Ed saw Bernice as a twisted version of his mother because back in the day, Bernice had quote unquote stolen a woman's husband and left the woman behind, and that woman um, ended up killing herself because of it, uh, which is terrible. Yeah, it's really terrible, but I don't know if that's necessarily her fault. Like, things happen. I don't know. Times are different, but anyways, in in Ed's mind... Oh, that doesn't um, happen today? Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, but I don't... Is it really the, the woman... The other woman's fault if you kill yourself? I don't know. Um, that, that's, if, that's my quandary here. If they know that you're married. Is that me. really? It's a home record, bro. Yeah, but you kill yourself for it? I don't know. That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. Anyways. You don't know true uh, love. I, I guess I don't. <laughs> in, in Ed's mind, though, uh, again, it didn't make sense that. You do, though. I'm not, trying to get you in the, woman... I'm not trying to get you in the doghouse. You know true love. Oh. 
Thanks for getting me out of the doghouse. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yeah, I lost my train of thought. Okay, yeah, so you're, tr you're truly in love with Emily. Yeah, come on, dude. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in Ed's mind, it didn't make sense that such a righteous woman and devoted follower of God was dead, his mother. And this sinful woman was allowed to live and breathe. But Eddie, uh, Eddie was going to make sure that that changed. So on November 15th, 1957, Ed walked into Bernice's shop and he asked Frank if he's going to be around the next day, to which Frank responded, of course not. It's the first day of deer hunting season. Why would I be here? I'm going to go out hunting. So Ed was like, so like you won't be here at all tomorrow? He's like, no, I'm leaving first thing in the morning. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, so you're leaving first thing in the morning and you won't be around all day tomorrow. You're sure. Like, what time are you coming back? And so because Frank had no reason to suspect anything at all from Ed Gein, he answered all his questions. He said, no, I, I'm, I won't be here tomorrow. I'm leaving first light. I'll be back, you know, six o'clock, whatever, the next day. And I will be in the woods hunting. Like, that's where I'll be. My mother will be here alone at the shop. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Enjoy hunting. I'll be back tomorrow for yeah. some antifreeze. Yeah, cool story, bro. So, again, just making sure you're not going to be here. Right. Really? So, in the woods still? Okay. So, cool. so if I so if I come in about like 8, 8.30, you won't be here, right? You won't be here, right? You won't be anywhere near here, correct? If, if I wanted to have a conversation with you, that won't happen because you won't be here. No. Right? Okay. Just okay. making sure, you know, don't. You're not lying to me. Are you? Uh -huh. Cross my T's, dot my eyes type situation. You're not going to be here. Yeah. Pinky swear. All right. Have fun. Yeah. So like I said, he had no reason to suspect Ed of anything. Um, and so the next day on November 16th, Ed was up bright and early and he casually made his way into town and made a few stops before arriving at Bernice's shop because Ed wasn't worried about being seen by anybody. He knew that pretty much every male in the town would be off hunting some deer. So he calmly walked into the shop, knowing full well what he was about to do, but also that no one was there. So Ed walks in and he gives Bernice his jug that he had brought with him. And she filled it with antifreeze because apparently you could just put antifreeze in jugs. Yeah. Oh, man. The good old days, huh? Yeah. I so, got to uh, buy it at AutoZone. What a racket. Yeah. I think uh, it's trigger warning time, don't you think? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's trigger warning time. So he gave her the jug. She completed the sale and wrote up a receipt for one jug on antifreeze. Ed said thank you, and he shuffled himself out the door. And it, it's uncertain. No one really knows whether he just lost his nerve when he walked out. Um, but then he was outside, and he, was, he talked to himself, and he, he made himself like you know, do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And he walked back in. So when he walked back in to Bernice's shop, he said, you know, I've been thinking about getting a new gun um, or trading in my gun for a different gun um, because the one I have only fits one type of caliber and I want one that fits, you know, a 22, but, you know, long, short, long rifle, different type of cal uh, 22s. So she's, uh, she's like, yeah, this Marlin right here, this is, this is one of my favorite guns. And so she took the Marlin off, handed it to Ed and, um, she turned around. She looked out the window. And that's when she noticed uh, her son-in-law's truck was across the street. And the way she knew it was his was because it was a brand new green Chevy. And without knowing they would be her last word, she said, I do not like Chevrolets. In the meantime, 
Ed had chambered a 22 bullet he had in his pocket into the rifle and then aimed the gun at the back of Bernice's head and pulled the trigger. She was dead within seconds and he dragged her body through the back of the shop along with her cash register and loaded her and the register onto the truck that Bernice kept. That's his version, but the blood uh, evidence says that he kind of did the, the hunter's thing of after he shot her in the back of the head, he walked up to her on the ground, lifted up her head and slit her throat to bleed her out and make sure she's dead. Yeah. So his version of the events is what I told you, but the blood evidence, it shows that he was much more uh, callous about it. Yeah, much more methodical. and Yeah. So his version of events and what the forensics say are two completely different things. But he did drive the truck to a wooded area and he would leave it there with the body inside. Um, and then he would walk all the way back to Bernice's shop to get his own car. He transferred her body from the truck to his car and he booked it back to his house. There was a guy on his property who had just killed a deer and he was trying to get out of there before Ed noticed he had killed a deer on his land. But just then when the animal was on his truck, Ed came speeding by heading towards his own house. And the dude was like, fuck, he saw me. But Eddie just stuck his hand out. Like he just stuck out his window, hand out the window and just merrily waved at him. Like, just like, hey. Yeah, he just, that, that part cracks me up. Yeah. Just like solely because he's like, fuck, Ed doesn't like, he doesn't like, he's squeamish around blood and he doesn't want deer killed on his property. But fuck, uh, what Ed doesn't know won't hurt him. And then all of a sudden and he sees the car speeding by. <laughs> fucking and then, flying down the road. Like, ah, I can fuck, just, fuck, 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 fuck. I can and just then, picture Ed like with his stupid like goofy smile just with waving a grin just doing just the, waving at the car. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, like Forrest Gump on the, the shirt. Yeah, exactly, the shirt dude. That's exactly <laughs> what I picture. Just just like nothing in his head. He's not yeah. thinking about anything. He's just, just waving. waving. Yeah. Hey friend. <laughs> so a little while later, um, the guy who killed the deer on his property, he felt guilty enough that he decided to drop by the house and try to apologize to Ed for hunting on his land. And when he pulled up, Ed was outside changing his tires, which would have been suspicious if it were anybody else, but this was Ed Gein. And Ed Gein was just a weird guy. He would change his tires from snow tires or, or winter tires to whatever other tires any time of the year. You know, that's, that's just a thing Ed Gein would do. Uh, so Ed Gein being Ed Gein, huh? Yeah. So Ed told the guy, you know what, don't worry about it. You know, we're all good. Just whatever. Bygones be bygones. And he watched as the guy drove away. A little while later in the day, in the afternoon, uh, Bob Hill and his sister came by to see if Ed would help them drive into town because uh, their car battery had died. And Ed, being the helpful neighbor, you know, because he helps anyone in need, he agreed to help. But first, he, first he just wanted to clean up a bit because he was covered in blood, you know, because deer. He was dressing out a deer. And the oh, kids yeah. were like, oh, yeah, man, sure, of course, it is deer hunting season. You would be covered in blood. Why wouldn't you be covered in blood? It's fine that you're covered in blood. Go clean up, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You totally love hunting deer, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he came outside covered in blood. Oh, God. And um, so then after he cleans up, he goes into town, he gets the battery and he helps them replace it. And then once he's done, Bob Hill's mom, Irene, uh, invites Ed to stay for dinner, which he's like, he's hungry. He's had, he's had a long day. You know, he's, he, he happily agreed to it. So meanwhile, Frank Warden had come back to town and he, he had walked up to a different shop and had, 
because he had a rough, I don't think he caught any or shot any deer that day. And he was like, when is the competition for the deer hunting season over? Like who can catch the biggest buck? And the guy's like, oh, you still have eight days. Uh, he's like, oh, by the way, I saw your mom's truck uh, leaving out the back. Is she hunting today too? Cause she's been locked up ever since like 8.30 this morning. And um, he's like, no, my mom should be in the shop all day. So he walked back across the street. And um, when he got there, the door was locked. He, he's like, oh shit, there's no one in here. He just came back from hunting, so he didn't have his key on him. So he had to go home, get his keys, and he came back. When he opened the door, he immediately knew something was wrong. The cash register was gone, and there was blood splatter all over the floor. And then a trail, just like Mary Hogan's, led to the back door. In the back driveway, he saw the truck was missing. At this point, he knew what to do because he's a deputy sheriff. He knows protocol. So he called the sheriff. Uh, his name is Sheriff Slay. Schley, and uh, the sheriff called um, his chief deputy officer. And together, they made their way to Bernice's shop. And as soon as they walk into uh, to the Bernice's shop, Frank Warden blurts out, He's done something to her. I don't know if that's the cadence he went with, but that's what he said. <laughs> He's done something to her. Yeah, that's closer, yeah. Okay. I'll accept that one. The first one was odd timing. It was, it was still right, but odd timing. The first Anyways, one was just more dramatic, okay? It was going for way drama. More, way more dramatic. So Frank had found a receipt for antifreeze on the counter in the mean while he was waiting for the sheriff. Like he had time to investigate the area, and the main thing he found was the besides the blood splatter and the pool of blood caused by the slicing of the neck, he found a receipt for antifreeze on the counter. And he knew Ed earlier wanted to come back to get some antifreeze because he, he said it the day before he said you won't be here and i need antifreeze so he knew this was ed gein yeah, as soon he, as he saw that yeah you remember the questions like so you're gonna be hunting all day right cool <laughs> yeah. so you're not gonna be anywhere near here right yeah cool but, yeah, but not only not only that specific question of how long he's gonna be gone but he also knew that ed had been asking his mom out lately and he, his mom was annoyed with him for doing so so frequently you know he knew these things yeah. because he was there for it Wanted to go to the so, roof skating rink, man. Blame him. Get your groove so on. I don't know. If the sheriff had called for backup, right? Since this was likely a grisly crime, you know, the um, he wanted some more help from like the city cops, the more experienced ones. And um, so what he did was he called for backup. And then he, the people, the three of them decided that Ed Gein needs to be found right away. So as officers arrived at Ed's house, they knocked, but no one answered. And then meanwhile, back at the Hill House, Ed Gein was eating dinner like he had never eaten anything in his life. He was just gobbling up all the food they made, which was fine. You know, he's hungry and she had plenty of food. It wasn't a big deal. But during dinner, Irene's son-in-law came rushing in and told them there was a commotion going on and something happened to Bernice Warden back in town. And Bob Hill and Ed finished up dinner and they planned to head into town to see what the hubbub was all about. They wanted to see for themselves, you know. And as Ed and Bob were in the driveway about to leave, at that moment, a few officers show up and ask Irene Hill if she knew where Ed Gein was. And she was like, yeah, he should be in the driveway if he hasn't left already. So the cops, when they, they walked up to him, he was still in the car. They, just, they knocked on the window and they said, Ed, we need to have a word with you. So they put Ed in the back of the squad car and... They were two of them were sitting up front and they leaned out, turned around and they said, Ed, we need you to tell us where you were today and take us step by step and tell us everything you did from the moment you woke up. 
And uh, when he was done, he said, all right, Eddie, take us through it again. What did you do when you woke up? Just to be sure what you're doing, tell us one more time what you did. And um, when he was finished with the story, he said, well, Eddie, you done told us two different versions, man. You didn't, it doesn't line up. What you said the first time isn't what you said the second time. And then um, Ed replied, and he just slowly blinked, and then he said, Somebody framed me. Framed you for what? Well, Mrs. Warden. What What about Mrs. Warden? Well, she's dead, ain't she? Dead? How do you know she's dead? Well, I, I heard it. Where'd you hear it? I heard them talking about it. Yeah. So that was how he defended himself. He's like, I heard it. <clears throat> heard it through the grapevine, son. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So now. obviously Ed was lying, right? <laughs> he doesn't have obviously. a good retort for where he was and why his stories don't match up. They were told five seconds apart. So uh, they knew that he was lying. So they arrested him for robbery. They had him because the cash register was gone. So they're like, we're going to arrest you for robbery. And now that he was arrested, they had access to uh, go into his home and try to find Bernice Warden. Hopefully she's still alive. This is a very uh, time-sensitive search. We're looking for a woman, hopefully, who's still breathing. Uh, so even though it was like 9 p.m. at night, and it was super dark out uh, at this point, the sheriff and one other guy made their way to Ed Gein's home armed with only flashlights, which in 1957 wouldn't normally be like a problem since people had electricity, but not the Gein home. Nope. The Gein home had stayed pretty much exactly the way it had been in 1914 when Augusta Gein bought it. And in the 43 years the family lived there, they never made enough money to afford to put electricity or other new amenities in their home, which is crazy to me. That they, in 1957, they still had no power, no lights, nothing. So he would live life by candlelight or by lamp in his own home. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So the two officers made their way into the house and could only see what their flashlights had illuminated, which, if you can picture this, this is terrifying. Like, this dark old house that you know is filled with horrors, and you just have a flashlight. It's like a Resident Evil game. You just... Oh, it's got it's scary. It's, when I picture it, it's very scary. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. So they only had their flashlights, and they can only see what's in front of them. So when Sheriff Slay bumped into something heavy, he wasn't sure what it was at first until he turned around and flashed his light on the most gruesome sight of his entire life. The only way to describe what he saw was to call this a murder house, and everything they found would go down in infamy. Get ready. Yeah, definitely needed. The murder house. A house of horrors. I mean... Just thinking of Eddie's rundown farmhouse gives me chills. Yeah. Especially at night. No streetlights, set in a field, and there's no lights in the house, no electricity, so it's completely freaking dark. <clears throat> but what responding officers found in the house is even more haunting. They bumped into the body of the 58-year-old grandmother who they found hanging from the ceiling, headless, and gutted. They also noticed that at the time, knows Gein, now they know, but he had ran a wooden rod through her ankles and attached the rod to a crossbeam of the ceiling. And her arms were bound to her side, and there she was left hanging like a pig for slaughter. 
and they would actually leave to go throw up. That's how like gruesome the discovery was. And they even mentioned that the was a cavern of her chest cavity was like it had been cleaned out. It was glistening. There was no blood. There was no entrails. It was just like like he had seen when when he witnessed his mother. Um, I think it was a pig, a pig or a deer, <clears throat> but that's what they kind of related it to. Yeah, she he had seen a hog. Yeah, his mother got a hog. Yeah, so like the dude's like literally like threw up like from the side of it. It was crazy. Yeah. Now, shortly after this gruesome discovery, backup started to show up from all over the county. You know, all the city cops, all the people that you know, they called for backup for the divisions and the enforcement agencies that were used to dealing with horrific crimes like this. And they made their way into the death farm. They entered the main part of this farmhouse from the summer kitchen, which was the shed that they had, had, had initiated. Oh my God. That they had initially. Can you say it for me? Are you trying to say initially? Yes. Thank you. Initially. <laughs> Dude, am I having a stroke? Yeah, I think so. Am I stroking out initially? Initially, correct. Initially. God damn it. Why was that word so terrible? I really I really don't know. Well, this takes away from the trauma, me yeah, stuttering bit. over words. Anyways, they entered the main part of this farmhouse from the summer kitchen where they found the body. And again, with only their flashlights and they had some kerosene lamps, started to investigate. After seeing the state of decay the house was in and all the shit littering the floor, it was said, and without overstating it, that this house was the habitat of only one creature, a ghoul. Yeah, he's a literal ghoul. The only way to describe his house and how he lived and him was a fucking ghoul. Yeah. There was shit literally everywhere, piles of trash and food scraps. And if you can imagine what a hoarder's house would look like, this is it. But instead of hoarding newspapers and coupons, he was hoarding bodies. Oh, and, and newspapers and coupons. And those as well. Those, yeah. That was the a, a kicker. Now, investigators, during their search of the house, they would find that coffee can filled with his fucking nasty, chewed up oh, yeah. bubble gum. Which I can imagine is just as jarring like to find the coffee can as it was to find you know bodies because it's so weird and out of place. Yeah, you're like, oh, what's in this coffee can? And you're like, oh, just a mound of chewed up bubble gum? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's strange. Plus, they found some like yellowed old ass dentures just hanging out on the shelf. Yeah. Which <clears throat> just further added fuel to the fire about their beliefs that he was insane. Yeah. One investigator during that search saw a funny looking bowl sitting on one of the tables and then went to inspect it, only to find out it was the sawed off top of a head. And not the only one either. And that's that bowl I was talking about at the beginning that it wouldn't, it would spill his beans because he couldn't get the wouldn't sit right. Yeah, he can't get the top right, so it would constantly spill over. Again, that not the only one. There were numerous scattered about, but they would also find complete human heads as well. Two of them, in fact, were stuck on both bedposts of Gein's bed, like decoration. And when the captain, 
noticed a funny looking chair. He took a closer look and saw that the seat had been replaced with strips of human skin woven into a basket weave. And there was actually still fat attached to the skin on the bottom side. Mm. And they would eventually find three others fashioned in the exact same way throughout the house. And with that, and the creativity he got from the readings of Isles Coke, the Nazi. Yeah. Uh, Because if you're not familiar with her, look her up. She would take the skin of the Holocaust prisoners that had cool looking tattoos and would skin them and create fashion, her own furniture lampshades out of the skin. Uh, His house would turn into the workshop of a psycho. Now, if I was one of these investigators, I would have noped right the fuck out of there after seeing the hanging body. Yeah, I don't know how he, dude, the fact that he went back in after he saw that, like he saw the body, went outside, him and his partner threw up, went back inside. Got a job to do. Yeah, I mean. Not for me. I, I fucking guess. No, dude. No. But someone else can go in there. No, and if if that the hanging the gutted headless hanging body wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, it would have been the soup bowl made from a human head. <sighs> but these investigators continued to search. They had a job to do, and they needed to search the death house. They found even more items around the house that had been fashioned from human remains, lampshades from human skin, a sheath for a knife. Made from human skin. A fucking belt made from nipples. That's the famous one. People always talk about the nipple belt. Yeah. Or better yet, a shade pole, like the thing you pull the the cord. Yeah. That was decorated with a pair of women's lips. I've always wondered how that is. Did he just like attach it? Like it was. Like so he, the string goes down and he, he just put sewed it across. It. Yeah, he, he probably just cut off the lips and sewed it on. That's so strange. But a lot of these things, if Facebook or Instagram allows it, we'll post some pictures of these if yeah. you're curious. Did it? They have pictures of all of it. <clears throat> it's fucking gnarly. Mm-hmm. And to help, because obviously these, the, the first investigators on scene, they had flashlights, kerosene lamps, and mm-hmm. can't imagine walking around That's that fucking house with terrifying. a flashlight. Yeah, and terrifying. or just a bullshit kerosene lamp through this house of horrors. Yeah. Uh, they brought in generators and portable lights to better illuminate the horrors that they would eventually find. Can you imagine Augusta's ghost, like the light turns on and she just sees her house. Full, first of all, fully fucking disgusting. And secondly, just filled with corpses, like in parts of people. Oh, like the no. first time, the first time there's ever electricity introduced into your home. It, it just illuminates the horrors of this guy's mind. Yeah, dude, it's, it's gnarly and it gets better or worse. That's you just, you. yeah, you decide. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so time had gone on and, uh, reporters, started to flood into the area after hearing the whispers of what was going on. And the police only released one statement at that time that Miss Warden's body had been found and Gein was being held as a suspect. They didn't talk about any of the atrocities that they had found Mm -hmm. inside the house yet. 
And uh, with the help of the newly added floodlights, it really started to illuminate the evil shit that happened inside. Flashlights don't do it justice. You got to bring in floodlights. One detective during his search of the house picked up an old shoebox, opened it oh, up. Oh, God. Oh. And what do you think he found in this shoebox? Fingernails? Nah. Mm. Eyeballs? Mm-mm. Nah. Nah. Mm. Found women's vaginas. Oh. Nine of them, to be exact. With one of them, a lot of them look withered. Older. Yeah, leathered out. One of them was looked pretty fresh, and <clears throat> he would talk about how it looked like, like there was like crystallization on it, and then they found out that it was salted. Yeah, and didn't he put like a a bow tie on it as well? Because there was one sl- that was like decorated. The others yeah. like were either not to get like one of them was painted silver to try to preserve it. Because yeah. it started to turn, like it started to uh, get, you know, decayed. Yeah, d- yeah turn necrotic. Um, yeah. And not to get like super graphic with female anatomy, but some of them were just the vaginas. Others included the anus. Like, yeah. like he cut all the way to the back. But imagine opening that box and that's what you find. God. I... You would, you would never have found that box. You would have noped out a yeah, long time gone. ago. I was like, gone. I fucking I handed in my badge and my gun, and I said, good luck, boys. Yeah. Have fun. Not for me. It's like back to, uh, what was his name, the French serial killer, the Wolf of Paris, uh, the, the fire marshal coming back out. You got some work cut out for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I would see that and be like, all right, boys, going home. <laughs> Tell me how it goes. No, please don't. Yeah. Mm. I might be curious. In any case, they found another box. No good. And in that box, they found four noses. And then also they found a Quaker Oats box. And they opened it and they found scraps of human head tissue still inside of it. Mm. I mean, every storage space in this fucking house had human remains in it. You know, the crazy thing about that nose box, though, is they had found enough complete uh, skeletons, complete parts of anatomy to create like, what are they, like nine, nine uh, I, I think, Yeah, I think they said it was nine. But apart they from had the two, all, yeah, apart they from had the, noses. So when they found four extra noses, they're like, where do these extra <laughs> noses come from? There's, this doesn't, there's, these bodies have noses already. Why is there a box of extra noses like it's not adding up yeah so, so they were like how many people died for this house is insane yeah i think they had mentioned nine uh exhumed bodies they could mm-hmm. equate a, a lot of the body parts too but yeah again you got some extra you got some extra noses yeah it turns out what he what he would do is that he would dig up other graves but he would only take what he wanted so that's why there wasn't complete bodies of other people. He would dig up the graves and then he would desecrate the bodies and take only the things he needed as he did it more and more. So even for, at first he took everything. He just took the whole body, but then he started doing it so much that he was just like, I'm only going to take 
the nose. I guess that's what I need. Yeah. I, I got to make my nipple belt. So the nipples are coming with me, you know, things like that. So he, he had a system at a certain point. Yeah. He had it nailed down. So after finding the noses and the Quaker Oats box, <clears throat> things got a little weirder. Mm. Investigators would also find items that Gein had fashioned as actual clothing. They found leggings made from the skin of, you could probably guess, human legs. Mm. A vest made from the upper torso of a middle-aged woman, breasts included. Yeah, the whole the whole time. The whole get-up. And if you thought that was bad, wait until you hear about his mask collection. Mm. Nine masks in total. Made from the faces of nine women. The skin, which was very carefully, dare to say, with surgical precision, removed from the head and then tanned. The eyes were left with the body, so there were holes in the mask where eyes should have been, but the hair was still attached to the mask. And on a couple of the on a couple of these masks, the skin had aged and looked almost mummified. But some of the masks looked fresh, the skin was well taken care of, and even on some of them, they still had lipstick. And the ones that were well taken care of looked so lifelike that anyone that knew that victim who the face belonged to could see the resemblance in the mask. Like right away, like, oh, shit, yeah. that's, that's my mom. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's... yeah, so I, I wanted to wait till you got to this part, but one thing I left out on purpose for so you could go through this was um, when the kids were afraid of his house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know this, but on certain nights, if they if they would have paid attention, they would have seen the figure of a what looked like a woman a bigger size woman possibly augusta herself um like you would if you saw that you would believe holy shit ed actually brought his mom back to life um he would wear this entire outfit he would become a woman and he would dance naked in the moonlight and like play his drum which was also made out of skin yeah and he would just do this in like in a on a I don't know if it was a full moon or what, but he would go out into his front yard and dance around and bang on the drum and be a woman. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be a woman. And he would wear this skin outfit and skin become suit. one. Yeah, the skin suit and become one. Yeah, leggings, the vest, so he looked like a woman because it had the breasts attached, and then any assortment of the masks, he got to pick and choose, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had, he had nine to choose from. It's the only way he could become what he's always wanted to be. That's fucking gnarly. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the masks, four of them were stuffed with paper and used as decoration in uh, Gein's bedroom. Yeah, those those are part of the collectibles. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, you had talked about the you know the kid, his companion that would come mm-hmm. over and play cards and saw the quote unquote shrunken heads. He, in fact, saw the masks. Saw he, didn't real life. he didn't know them at the time, but those weren't the shrunken heads that he had gotten in the Pacific. Those were his collectibles. Mm. Now, one deputy during his search noticed a robe that was lying on the floor behind the kitchen door and discovered a paper bag inside. 
He would say that he didn't know why he did what he did next, and Neither perhaps, and perhaps he was stunned by all the other gruesome discoveries. Perhaps that he was in sort of a daze and wasn't thinking about what he was doing, but reached into the bag and pulled out the head that was inside. Mm. As he held it up to the light, Spex Murdy, investigator on scene who was standing nearby, saw the head illuminated in the light and shouted, My God, it's Mary Hogan. And the three-year mystery of her whereabouts had been solved. It just reminds me of uh, was, uh, NCIS, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the main character takes off his glasses. What would he Yeah. CSI Miami. CSI Miami. Yeah. He takes off his glasses all dramatic. It yeah. looks like she was hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> <laughs> just something ridiculous. Yeah, like yeah something, something stupid. Something so stupid. I hate when the crime shows do that. Just so, And he always has to take out his sunglasses like, ugh. Man, yeah, it's dr- the <laughs> dramatic sunglass removal. Yeah, well, and a like, stupid quip. Yeah, looks like she had too much time. Was that in her head? Uh, no, the was math a... teacher one. There was a math oh, teacher. Yeah, yeah. The math teacher got murdered, and he's like, "Well, looks yeah. like this mathematician's out of the uh, equation." Oh god, <laughs> it's so cheesy and dumb, but it's so funny though. Yeah. Not not what's happening at a Gein's house, just TV. Just a <laughs> my god, it's Mary Hogan. He was made for TV. Yeah, but they solved the mystery. Yeah, so now we know what happened, or we knew what happened, to Mary Hogan, but now we know exactly where she's at. Mm-hmm. Now the investigation team continued to search his house late into the night, pulled out body part after body part like it was some sort of excavation. They found more vaginas, dried out breasts, bones, noses. I mean, you name it, they found it. There were so many body parts that they had no clue at the time how many bodies there actually were. Obviously, they were able to piece stuff together and kind of got a rough number, the nine Mm -hmm. Now, they would reach the part in the house that Gein had boarded up, and they had this feeling of apprehension. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, you found all this crazy shit. Open out in the open of your house, like in the wide open for everyone to see, but then there's a door that's boarded up. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, "Um, do we have to go in there? You do. And, you know, they, they removed the boards and the investigators were shocked. But not in the way you're probably thinking. Mm-hmm. What they had revealed was a bedroom and parlor, but unlike the rest of this shit show of a fucking house, that what they said was a living space for a ghoul, no, yeah. no, no, no. This room was left immaculate. Everything in perfect order. So strange. Like nothing had been touched, nothing had been moved. It was like a, a museum artifact, right? Mm-hmm. And they were able to look at the decor and the clothing um, that they had found in the dressers, and they could tell this was a woman's room. Also, based on the thick layer of dust, had not been used in years. And the investigators wouldn't know it at the time, but this was basically the shrine for. Eddie's mother, Augusta. This was her bedroom. This was her yeah, living he had, area. 
locked it up as soon as she died and hadn't stepped foot in that room in 12 years. Yeah. But also, you didn't mention it, but there was dust on all the things they did find in the house. There was like it was untouched in years. And, and there's actually rumor that Ed slept in various vacant and empty shacks or houses that he found. And he actually wouldn't sleep there. So for a while, they were thinking that they, it's just a rumor though, but they, they were thinking that this might not be the only body dump that they find. You know, this is not the only house of horrors, mm. but none of that ever became true or whatnot. So, but still, it seems like Eddie didn't touch a lot of his house. Like he just had like his one kitchen spot in the kitchen and the light by the fire where he read his comics. And that was it. Yeah. The rest, he put his trash in and then he had the, the shrine for his mother. Now, on Sunday morning, Adam Wolomowski from the crime lab set up shop in the summer kitchen and started to take photos of Bernice Warden's still hanging corpse. And during the search of the rest of the house, they ended up finding more of her missing body parts. Because remember, she was gutted. Mm-hmm. Her heart was found in a plastic bag in front of the pot belly stove. Her still warm entrails were wrapped in a newspaper and found in an old suit of men's clothes. The last thing that remained to be found was her head. Wilamowski and another investigator, Halligan, began searching that summer kitchen. It was basically a shack. It's a shack mm-hmm. attached to the house. Yeah, that's what it was. <clears throat> and noticed in the corner, there were two nasty-ass mattresses, old mattresses. And when Halligan lifted one of them off the other, noticed a burlap sack in between them with steam coming off of it. They would retrieve the sack, pulled out the head of Bernice Warden, which had dirt smeared across her face, dried blood in both nostrils. Yet, however, her frozen expression was that of peace. She had a peaceful expression on her face. Weird. Now, you would think finding a decapitated head was gruesome enough, but Gein did something special with her head. He took two nails, bent them into hooks, and stabbed them into each of her ears. Connecting the two hooks was a piece of twine so her head could be hung as a trophy in his house. Sunday morning, 5 a.m. on November 17th, 12 hours after her son Frank had discovered her missing, Bernice Warden's body was carefully removed from the ceiling and her and her head were placed in a plastic bag and transported to Gould's funeral home for a post-mortem examination. Oh, God. That's insane. That's gnarly. And it's the... I can't even imagine. I don't want to imagine. And I I actually appreciate you doing that section because I did not want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be rough to see in person yeah i it's i mean it's it's unimaginable things that you found i don't i I don't even have words dude like i I don't like you could you would never imagine walking to someone's house and seeing a soup bowl and it's made out of the cap of someone's head like what Hmm. nipple belt with all the body parts found in the home uh they weren't sure exactly how many murder victims they had but they were thinking 
from the noses and the other body parts they found they were looking at a body count from like 11 to 14 but weren't exactly sure and when news broke out about what happened to bernice like you said there wasn't much news about it they just said they found her body and ed Gein's under arrest some people were mortified and couldn't believe little ed Gein could be capable of such atrocities and others were like well well yeah i saw that coming i could have told you he'd done it you know some people yeah. were just a weird ass motherfucker. Yeah, that didn't surprise me. No. And there's probably rumors... one person. Side note, probably one person that you know that if the news came out that they were a serial killer, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh serial killer, that I mean, I maybe I have one that I could if I really thought about it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I know a few who if they got angry and murdered someone, I'd be like, yeah. Saw it coming. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got that one person that they're like, oh, yeah. Or like, uh, no surprise. People, like, oh, if, um, like, let's say the dude, or, yeah, mainly dudes, if the dude's ex goes missing, I'm like, oh, what'd you do, man? Yeah. What'd you do to her? You know, there's a few of those. But serial killer, I, I would have to think about it. I don't know if I really do know someone like that. Hmm. Well, it's the same thing. It's like people saying, like, oh, yeah, I saw it. It was. He was a weirdo. Yeah. I I could see him doing that. A lot of people that did say that because they knew that the publicity would be there, and they're like, "Yeah, I knew it was him yeah. the whole time." Old Eddie, I, shit, I knew it. And I just would, wasn't saying anything. You you would have asked me five years ago. I could have told you it was him. But anyways, uh, rumors spread wildly about the horrors inside his home, um, like the fact that his heart was found in a bag near the stove. It turned into the heart being on the stove, you know, because he's a cannibal. And, you know, Ed was a taxidermist, um, among many other falsehoods that had become permanent fixtures in the stories he inspired, with the most famous exaggeration being from Psycho, where Norman Bates kept his mother's corpse in the room. Uh, you know, there was weird shit about his mom, but not like that. Like He never kept her, he never dug up her body. But obviously walking through this disgusting and terribly cluttered and macabre house wasn't fun. But when the cops came across that untouched room, we talked about it a little bit, but that's intense. Like you, you have this horrible house and you open the door, not knowing what you're going to find. You found this immaculate room. I mean, it's dust covered, but it's pristine. Yeah. Aside from that, like that's just as strange to me as a horror filled house. Like it's weird. And on a psychological level, you know what I mean? But that, that kind of right there is what sparked the rumors of, you know, his mom being in the house, which actually for when I first heard, I, I thought that that was the case, but you know, now that I know about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's just a false thing that people made up. Um, yeah, I figured, know, for, I figured they were going to open that room, find it immaculate, and find her fucking corpse laying in the yeah, bed or something weird. That's, that's what I picture when I grew up. That's kind of what I pictured when they opened that room. She was there. You know, she was, it was a shrine to her with her in it. Mm-hmm. But that's just not true. Um, so as they interrogated Ed, uh, as they were searching and they were interrogating Ed at the same time, uh, they were told yet another unbelievable truth that some people just flat refused to believe. But this was coming straight from Ed. So they had to investigate. Most people believed at the time uh, because of the body parts found and the amount of pieces that were there that amounted to so many women that he had actually killed dozens or dozen women. Um, but when he told them, no, I didn't kill all those women, that I dug them up, they were like, yeah, right. No way. I don't believe you. You killed these women. You're 
you're a murderer. For some reason, desecrating a grave was beyond what they thought he was capable of, but they just didn't believe him or didn't want to believe him. Well, the investigate the officials investigating had a few options. They could continue with their investigation and figure out just how many people Ed had killed, or they could take him at his word and believe that he had dug up these women and he didn't kill them. Or they could actually go and physically find out by digging up the graves of the women he named, but they didn't want to unnecessarily disturb the dead, which is understandable. They didn't want to just go digging up graves in case he was lying. Of course, you know, hindsight, we know he's not lying. They didn't know that at the time, but we know that he's not lying. But can you imagine like investigating this during this time period? Like there's no precedent really. I mean, there have been plenty of other necrophiles, but this definitely takes the cake. And, and what would, what would you do in that situation? I mean, eventually they did check for themselves and saw that he wasn't lying, but it took a lot of like coaxing to like get them to dig them up to corroborate his story. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, I can picture myself not digging these women up because I didn't want to disturb their final resting place. But you, I mean, as a cop, you kind of got to do what you got to do. Right. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It'd just be very difficult to do, fucking do. Yeah, it would be a very difficult choice. I think as evidence came on, I think every cop would have come to the conclusion that there is no choice but to dig these bodies up to, you know, say, yeah, this is what happened. But still, that's a, that's a tough call. Like, disturbing the dead is not something that a lot of people, including myself, don't appreciate, you know, yeah, especially when your, your mom, yeah, something like your mom or your sister or something, just like, no, like, you got to make sure that you know what you're doing before you dig that grave up. But, you know, it was a tough call and all. And like I said, a lot of people didn't even believe him. They're just like, what? Like there was like an interview and uh, the one of the reporters like, oh, do you think you're going to find Ed Gein's, uh, you know, proof that Ed Gein's telling the truth? And the cop's like, what do you think? Kind of like, of course not. Yeah. But, you know, he ended up eating his words. But still, that's just a, such a tough call. It, it really is. So as time went on, it was becoming increasingly clear that Ed just wasn't right in the head. Like we said in a couple episodes before, I think is Diane Downs. Uh, I think the factual medical term is fucked in the head. So all out. Both, yeah, both his lawyers and the prosecution, they both had agreed that Ed needed to be taken uh, to be evaluated by a team of professionals. So Ed went off for a month. Uh, it was a month. Uh, they, they needed a minimum of a month to uh, assess the guy. So he went off and he was studied by three different psychiatric professionals and they all found him to be a true schizophrenic. Two of them said that he was not uh, fit to stand trial. One said that he was, he was fit to stand trial, but he was like right there on the border of knots. Like he, anything could tip him over to not. So the judge took the majority vote and they decided um, that he was not fit to stand trial. So, like I said, the evaluation was set for only a month, and that time was coming to an end because he was sent there, like, uh, late November. So after the month was up, Christmas was – it was right at that time, maybe like a couple of days before Christmas, mm-hmm. that he was supposed to get Ed back. And Sheriff Slay – or Slay was – he wasn't down. Like, he was over dealing with Ed Gein. Uh, he wasn't looking forward to having Ed Gein back. Uh, so he asked the um, – the psychiatric so they can keep him more they said yeah we we would and we we should but it's not up to us we have a 30-day order it's coming up you got to get a judge to sign off on this so um 
and really he only wanted Ed to stay there till the holidays were over, you know, to after New Year's, you know, let him get some time with his family and stuff. Yeah, not to worry um, about this psychopath in his custody. Yeah, so uh, the judge, uh, he brought it forward to the judge, and after the judge read the psychiatrics report, um, the, the judge had agreed. He's like, yeah, we need to keep Ed locked up at the facility, actually indefinitely, not even for the next couple of weeks. Like He just needs to stay there for as long as it takes. So he, so uh, Sheriff Schley was like, oh, fuck yes, dude, because the reason, one of the main reasons Schley hated having him under his custody, I mean, besides for obvious reasons, is is because for like the past month and a half since Ed's arrest, the, the county of Washara had, uh, and the town of Plainfield had been like descended upon by countless amounts of reporters who all wanted to get an interview with Gein, but the officials wouldn't allow it. No one spoke to Ed Gein, like ever. And it was actually these reporters who were desperate to get the best scoop who initially spread the lies that we hear about Ed Gein, like the cannibalism, the, the mother being in the room. Like these are from reporters who just wanted to tell a fantastic story in their editorials, you know? Well, and, reporters do <clears throat> what reporters do. They just want to get right, this is first. And it, whether it's right or wrong, they right. give zero fucks about it. It's like, oh, We've Ed Gein had his mother's body in the fucking bed? Yeah. Put it out on the press. Tomorrow's paper. Yeah. Fucking get it out. My brother's calling me right now, but I'm doing a podcast. I can't answer. Yeah. Sorry, um, bro. He'll, he'll hear this and he'll know why I didn't answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just like um, they, they we, we talked about this with Richard Speck. You know, when the reporters broke into the house where the nurses were murdered, they took pictures and they just came up with their own you narrative. Know, narrative of what happened we see this over and over and now it's called fake news or whatever since 2015 or whatever but it fake it's news the same, it's the same thing like reporters are interested in getting it out first and more fantastic than the next guy you know if they can find that little bit of detail that makes them more special than the next guy that, that that's what they can do whether it's true or not so well, their, their livelihood revolves around in today's world viewership right Right. Whoever tunes in most to CNN or MSNBC, you know, back then it was who bought the most newspapers. Yeah. You know, so, you, um, like I said, they've been begging for a chance to meet Ed Gein, talk to him, get a quote from him, but nothing was ever given when it came to Ed, um, because he wasn't in his right mind to give a, a speech or, or any kind of quote, you know, and they knew that. So, once investigators had taken all relevant ed- evidence out of the home and, um, you know, taking all the majorly macabre stuff out of the house, uh, then reporters were um, given the chance to actually go into the home themselves when it was already cleared of most shit, but it was still a disgusting fucking place with tons of weird shit. And actually the reporters who were begging to go in there, they maybe lasted two or three minutes and they were back outside. Like that's how bad the house was, even after they took out the human parts. Jesus. And so they they went in there and they're like, okay, we're good, we're done. Thank thank you, we're we're good. So they got they they got what they asked for. It's like malicious compliance. <laughs> like, here you go, go inside the house if sure, you want. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, so in January of 1958, uh, Ed Gein was found to be unfit to stand trial and was sent back to Wisconsin Central State Hospital for the criminally insane until he was found to be competent enough to stand trial. 
this could be never, this could be in a year, this could be in 10 years, which was the case, but still they intended for him to never walk the streets again. Whether he was found guilty or not, he was never leaving the walls of some kind of facility for the rest of his life. And that's all they knew. Mm-hmm. So um, the, obviously the people of the town whose family was murdered or grave desecrated were not happy, not only with the ruling of the court, because they felt Ed was was much too happy in the facility, which he was. He was happy to not be alone and have like eight or a three hots and a cot type of thing. Like he had a warm place to stay, food to eat. Like he actually gained a bunch of weight in these places because he was eating like a human, not just baked beans out of a skull cap. But he, the people pork thought he was living life. Pork and uh, beans. Pork and beans. Yeah, pork and beans. What did I say? You said beans. Oh, okay. Add well, pork to it. Okay, it's yes, pork important. and beans. Very important. Yeah. Franks and beans. Anyways, and beans. They um, so Franks they were not happy. Beans. Yeah, they weren't happy because they figured he was happy at this place, and they're like, "Dude, this guy murdered my family. Why is he gonna have like a happy, peaceful life now? That's not fair." So they basically thought he got away with murder. Uh, but that wasn't the only thing bothering them. It turns out Ed Gein's house and property were being put up for sale in an auction, and there was an open house for people to come view the home and property for interested buyers. And this was set to be held on Palm Sunday. The people were upset over this because it was on Palm Sunday, and that's you know a holy day. But they were sure, they were positive that somebody would buy this house uh, of horrors and turn it into a macabre attraction. Uh, and they just weren't down with it. They didn't want this becoming a museum of death type of thing. And they they didn't want to sell to anybody. So the judge had said, well, it's got to go somewhere. People, There's pe- plenty of people suing Ed Gein for money. And the only way to get it is to sell the property and his, is his belongings to make the money to pay the estates that are suing him. So they said, this is going to happen whether the people of the town want it or not. So... Three days before the auction was set to take place, and about two in the morning, there was a huge fire on the Ed Gein property, and it had burned down the Gein homestead, along with a few other of the um, uh, buildings on the property as well. But even after the entire home was burned down to the ground, and probably by the townspeople, but no one was ever, you know, arrested for it. um, Yeah, they said said it was like the... the Possibly the cleaning people that were cleaning up the house for the uh, viewing auction. Yeah, they just set the house on fire. But it was it was the townspeople. Yeah, yeah. So uh, even after his race to the ground, um, the auction carried on as normal, and the people came in just to see the property because there wasn't really that many people there to buy anything. They just wanted to. to there was a, it was a tourist attraction, and the whole town was overrun by thousands of people coming to see where uh this atrocity has taken place and we'll actually talk about another um one of the cases i want to do um where this happened as well it was an old-timey one um i forget her name right now but she she also had a ton of people come from like around the country to see her murder farm um and um i mean so his his car that he used to transport the the corpses Mm -hmm. uh that sold at auction yeah yeah it sold it sold here and it went to like some guy who did exactly what the people were afraid he was going to do. And he like toured Wisconsin with them, went to like state fairs and, and had yeah. like charged charge people, people to, to, see, to see, it. see the fucking car. And it was, it is fucked up because he did put like mannequins or like wax figures of Gene driving the car and like a dead body in the back. So like it was this macabre showpiece and actually he got ran out of Wisconsin. Like the people weren't allowed, he weren't allowing him to 
show this car anywhere because it is such a shitty piece of history. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, after the auction, um, Ed was informed that his house uh, was burned down. And all he said was just as well, which leaves a lot to the imagination. Doesn't it? Like, what did he mean? Like, it, is he glad it burned down because he's hiding other things? Like what else? Like, should we be sifting through the ashes to find more things? Like, yeah. what does that mean? It's so vague. And like, is he just saying that's good? Like it might as well burn down. Or is he saying, well, at least you won't find the rest of the shit. Well, bygones be bygones. Burn yeah. my house down. Ah, we're, we're, we're even, right? Yeah. So about 10 years after he had been sent to the state hospital, Ed had been found that he had become sane enough to stand trial. And in 1968, he was found guilty of the murder of Bernice Warden. However, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was sent right back to the state hospital where he would stay until it shut down and turned into a regular penitentiary. Then after that, he was transferred to a different, smaller mental hospital. Wait, so like, all right. You can stand trial. You're not crazy. You're guilty. But also you're innocent because you're crazy. In the book, they do make a big deal about this because it's just like we people want justice, right? So they want to find him guilty, but the verdict So it was just a it was just a show. It was just a, a show for the people, yes. Because yeah. they even call it what do you what do you do with the trial where you know the outcome regardless if he's innocent or not? Whether he found him innocent of guilting uh, murdering her or not. He was going to end up in the same place. Yeah. And so he's it's either, just like he's he was, guilty of the murder or he's innocent because he's insane. Yeah. So it's, it's the same, right. the same outcome, no matter what they already knew the outcome, whether they found him guilty or not. So, um, like I say, he was right back at the state hospital where he would stay until it shut down. Um, that he would just be transferred to a different state hospital. Um, he would apply to be let out a few times in 1974, but was ultimately denied every time because fucking obviously they denied him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's why, because fuck you. Yeah. Um, He's like, Hey, can I get some bail? Can yeah, you release me? And like, oh yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Trust yeah. Sure. Me. Yeah. Sure. Trust me. Come to the appeals trial. Yeah. Nope. You're back in. Sorry. Yes. Come, come, come to the appeals trial. So we can tell your face to go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so hey, dipshit, go back to the fucking mental hospital, yeah. idiot. Yeah, but it didn't really matter because Ed was happy there and he would happily spend his days at the facilities like doing odd jobs. Like he would put his handyman knowledge to work. Like he would just fix things for these people because he had a lot of knowledge. He was a handyman. Like he was good at these things. So he was happy where he was. And um, he would actually end up dying in July of 1984 at the age of 77. And the next day he would be buried in between his brother and mother. Almost 78. He was a month away. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So, I made Octavia put 77. Yeah, I wanted to just put 78. Because his birthday's, right in, birthday's in August, so but <coughs> technically not 78. That uh, is, I digress. Uh, that's the story of Edward Theodore Gein, the, the man who was the inspiration to Psycho and the Bates Motel and Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, along with the psychotic character from the Asylum series in American Horror Story. Um, but which was... If you saw that 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 uh, season. that that season of American Horror Story, it, it, it's basically the it's exactly I want to say it's Zachary Quinto's character from Heroes, the bad guy from Heroes. Silas. It is. It is. Yeah, I want to say it's him. So uh, he's oh, he doesn't for, doesn't doesn't look like him. But no, if you but read it, the backstory on him, it's his mother almost issues. word for word 
Ed Gein. Like Ed Gein's story. It's crazy. Yeah. So like he his story will never die because of these things. Like his story will live in infamy as the inspiration for all these really some of the scarier characters in all of cinema, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, and that's the end of Ed Gein. But before we go, we wanted to leave uh during during the time in the 50s, uh, there was a bunch of, what would you call them, morbid jokes? Uh, I think that's they, a proper they, word for it. Is they, they call them, they, the original ones were called Bloody Marys, and they were just like horrible jokes that people would tell that weren't funny, but they were like, I don't know. It, it's weird, but the, they transitioned into a phenomenon that would end up be called Geeners, and Geeners are jokes about Ed Gein and the atrocities he had committed. Uh, so we're going to leave you with a few Geeners to close out this series. Yeah. I, th- I think it was like their way of dealing with the atrocities. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. We'll, we'll, we're, we're just going to put it into a soft light. And I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's just, it just goes to show you that humankind has always found humor kind of like we do. We tell horrible stories, but we try to put jokes in there to not make it seem that bad. I don't know. It's I mean, just it's, like human. It's bad, but we want to yeah. break up the badness with some light. Yeah. Jibber, it just goes to show jibber, like, jabber. podcasts like ours who interject humor with these terrible fucking stories have always been there. I mean, they have always been a thing. And it's just human nature, I guess, to try to cope with these things because these are real life things. These things really happen. So what can we do besides laugh or joke at, you know, it's just a thing. So here are uh, a couple of them that we found. So you want to start it off, Will? I'm going to start off with a little, uh, little poem. Yeah, a little limerick here. Now, there once was a man named Ed who wouldn't take a woman to bed. When he wanted a diddle, he cut out the middle and hung the rest in the shed. Mm. Nice, it's cute. Hey, you like that? So, hey, Will, mm-hmm. why did they have to keep the heat on in Eddie's house? <laughs> so the furniture wouldn't get goosebumps? Oh, but I'm... I wish I'd have found the sound effect for that. I was yeah, thinking about it. Or you? Damn, you should have said something. Damn. Yeah. Any case. Hey, Octavio. Yeah, what's up, dude? Uh, why did Ed Gein's girlfriend stop going out with him? Was it because he was such a cut up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Will. Yeah. Why won't anyone play cards with Ed Gein? Because he might come up with a good hand. Oh man! <laughs> Woo! Classic. Yeah. Yo, Tavia. Oh, what's up, Will? Um, what did Eddie Gein say to the sheriff who arrested him? Have a heart. <laughs> No, he didn't. Uh, all right, one, no, one, one more. We got one more. Uh, okay, okay. One more. Right, 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 right. Hey, Will. Okay. Hey, Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who? Well, why did they let Ed Gein out of jail on New Year's Eve? Uh, was it so he could dig up a date? Yeah. Oh, nailed it. So anyways, that was our series on Ed Gein. Uh, join us next next week for a special for uh, Hispanic Wex Heritage Week. Month. Yeah, yeah, join us next week. Next week, Wex Neek, uh for Hispanic Heritage Month episode is it's a gnarly one. It's, it's awesome. I think uh, it'll You'll be love it. specifically. Hi. Hi. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Bye. I love you. Bye. I love you. Have a heart. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, come up with a good hand. Oh, such a cut up. <laughs>